everybody, welcome to another edition of Sports with Friends. This is an important episode that we're going to be doing, covering some major topics. This is episode 381, and if you came here to hear Scott Hansen from the NFL Red Zone, well, that will be next week. Scott was very gracious. With the timing of the two incidents that I want to bring up on today's podcast and the guests that we have, doing an episode with Scott is going to be a lot of fun. I'm so anxious to learn more about the Red Zone, and that's all going to come up next week. Originally, the plan was to have Scott this week, and then next week, uh, we were going to address the Brittany Griner situation. TJ Quinn is an investigative reporter at ESPN, and he has been at the forefront of the Brittany Griner arrest and conviction and Russia situation. This will be his fourth appearance on the podcast. We also discussed his bout with long COVID. Uh, we've also just had him on because he's been a longtime friend. And that was going to be the order. It was going to be Scott Hansen this week and TJ next week on Brittany Griner. Then Grant Wall passed away. And full disclosure, uh, Grant Wall was somebody that I was trying to get on the podcast after the World Cup in guitar, probably after the first of the year. In January, I was trying to do a podcast with Grant Wall. I only met him once. Uh, it was at Sports Illustrated back in 2017, I believe. Uh, I was doing some guest appearances on that SI Now show when that existed. I believe I did a segment with Grant or... Grant and I were both on the same show, so we met. That, that was the extent of it. Uh, however, we have probably 7,000 mutual friends, and I exaggerate. Uh, I, like many people, were shocked by the news. Uh, Grant Wall passed away while covering the World Cup in Qatar. And there are many questions about his death, but also so much of an outpouring of support. I was taken aback. Richard Deitch is a sports media reporter for The Athletic, but for decades, he worked alongside Grant Wall at Sports Illustrated. Richard has a podcast called the Sports Media Podcast that I, it's one of my regular listens. I listen to it every week. If not, I catch up on episodes. Uh, I'm a big fan of Richard, and I've wanted to have him on the podcast to discuss his career and, and what he's done covering sports media, but he had on his podcast, Grant, three days before his passing. It was an incredible interview, and I'm so grateful that Richard Deitch agreed to come on and talk about that appearance and all the suspicion around Grant's death and just the sheer tragedy of it all. So we're going to do a two-part podcast. The first part will be Richard Deitch on the life and legacy of Grant Wall, and then T.J. Quinn on the release of Brittany Griner. It is also week 15 in the National Football League, so we'll preview those games as well. We're not going to divert too far away from our regular plan. Uh, Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at BovadaSportsBook.com, will join us. So when I dream up of guests that I've been targeting for months, if not years, uh, these are not the circumstances in which I wanted to welcome Richard Deitch to this podcast. As I said at the beginning of the show, uh, he worked alongside Grant Wall for a long time at Sports Illustrated. Uh, Richard, thanks so much for doing this and paying tribute to a colleague and a friend of yours. Seth, thank you for the uh, invite. And, uh, you know, any chance I have, certainly heading forward to talk about Grant and reflect on his legacy, 
that's something I'm going to do. So I appreciate the invite. I listened to the interview. I read your column and I just wonder what the circumstances of his health were. You know, you don't have to reveal any of the private conversation that you had, but when you were booking him, when you were in contact with him, did you have any inkling that he wasn't feeling well? The, the, I mean, I knew, honestly, I knew what everybody else had known from Grant's own writing. You know, he had, I don't remember what post he mentioned that he had had bronchitis, but he did, I believe, publicly. He had said at a certain point that he had gone to whatever their medical facility was to to get some antibiotics. I think after I taped with him, he went again, although I might be off on my time frame. When I talked to him, you know, his voice, it wasn't his usual voice. I mean, it was the voice of someone who sounded very tired and and overworked, but you know, both of us had done multiple Olympics and, you know, I like, that's the job. Like you're, right. you know, when you cover a world cup or you cover an Olympics, you're working 18, 19 hours a day. You're really not getting any kind of decent sleep. You're, you're really probably not eating well at all. Um, you know, if you're a lot of times and you know, this Seth, just from your own career, like, you know, after whatever event you covered, it's hard to come down and you may go to like some bar, oh, you may just break. hang out yeah. with some people for a drink. And it's, so it's like, it's not conducive to health. Um, it just isn't. <laughs> and so I didn't, you know, there was nothing going on with Grant like that. I, um, that I would have thought other than that he's really, you know, he's tired because he's getting close to the end of the world cup. I have no doubt though, that he was talking to his wife, who's a renowned infectious disease doctor who, you know, has obviously a lot of friends who are in the medical profession. The one thing I could tell you about Grant is he was very conscientious about his health and he, he would not be one to sort of gut it out or tough it out. He would have gone to I remember him talking about masks a lot. Like yeah, he, yeah, was he, a, would, he was very pro masks. And well, look the, at his wife. I mean, she, yeah, shut down. Yeah. She worked for the Biden administration in terms of COVID yeah. response. So he was very much a believer in science and a believer in health and would have gone to the, whatever medical place that existed within that framework. Um, and, you know, the one thing I can tell your listeners is that Grant's body is back in the United States as we tape this on Monday. There's going to be an autopsy here. And then I think we'll get some answers in terms of uh, from, a, you know, a, a regarded U.S. person who does autopsies, a coroner you know, what was going on. So I'm not into speculation. Um, no, no, or, I, and or, I didn't you know, have you would, on to nor, speculate. Yeah, no, nor would Grant have been. But, you know, if there's anything good about a horrible situation, it's that his body is now back with his family um, and that the U.S. government seemingly did a really good job of, I think it's the word is repatriating, getting all his stuff into right. the United States. And um, and we'll go from there. But it, well, it, the, the one it, thing you know, for those for those of us who I just going to say quick for yeah. those of us, obviously, who knew him, really cared about him. It, it just the news still seems surreal. The 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 question that I that I had and, and again, yeah, there is it's it's very suspicious. The whole thing is very suspicious because of the nature of where he was. Um, I remember in 2002, uh, I was in Japan for the uh, MLB versus Japan All-Star Series. The, I was, it was an assignment I had for Major League Baseball. I remember I got sick, and I, I remember I had bronchitis. What I did was I went into the trainer's clubhouse uh, in one of the ballparks, and the MLB trainer treated me. 
What I wonder in his situation is, is he going to a Qatari hospital or is he going to a FIFA slash World Cup sanctioned training spot? Is he getting preferential treatment or is he getting no treatment because of the language barrier or anything like that? That's where that's not the suspicious of is it foul play? I just wonder what kind of treatment you like people say, oh, he went to the doctor. Well, it's not like he went to his regular intern. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know enough about what he did when he was there. I would hope that his family did. And the only thing I know about what happened at the stadium are obviously all the reports from uh, the AP and the Times of London. And then obviously people who were next to him. The people that were sitting next to him in the press box. In the press box where it seems like he clearly had some kind of significant medical um, incident that looked either or appeared to be either like a heart attack or a seizure. People who were part of whatever the medical staff was at that stadium came and um, worked on him, performed CPR. It's not clear in terms of if they tried to do a defibrillator or anything else. It seems now this sort of reporting has moved forward that he was taken in an ambulance and that um, others who were working at the, uh, you know, the reporters followed in an Uber. And then I don't know in terms of, you know, when and where he got to the hospital, what had what had happened. I think your question is a fair one. The one thing I could just say about like in terms of general terms, the medical facility that you go at for any of these big global events, whether you're covering the Olympics or elsewhere, it's never going to be the same as your own internist. You're dealing with a couple of doctors. They're, They're likely not from your country. Right. Unless you have preferential treatment where you could somehow get the U.S. No, but they're not, they're not necessarily from Qatar. Right. You just don't. I mean, what I'm saying is like you really have no idea. It's a very sort of random luck of the draw. They're probably working with a lot of different patients because obviously bronchitis and other things are going on. So in many ways, you know, it's almost like a um, Seth, it's almost like one of those like kind of like local clinics, you know, you might walk into. You just you have to hope that you get a decent doctor. And you have to hope that you're getting um, diagnosed uh, accurately. So, again, I don't know. And my only hope, because I think it will bring some solace to the family, is that, um, you know, the autopsy provides us with some answers. More with Richard Deitch from The Athletic in just a moment on the passing of his colleague and great friend Grant Wall. The sports world has been shocked by his passing. And still to come, T.J. Quinn from ESPN on the recent release of Brittany Griner. It is week 15 in the National Football League. There are a slew of games that are worth paying attention to. And if you're of a gambling mind, you might want to consider this segment. Patrick Morrow, the head odds maker at Bovada, joins us. Let's start it off with the 49ers and the Seahawks. This is the Seahawks' last stand, right? If they... They're a home underdog, but if they can somehow pull off a victory, they're still in play for the division, but hanging by a threat. Yeah, hanging by a thread, Seth. And even even if they win this one, they're still going to need a little bit of help. But if they lose, they're absolutely toast because that will be uh, the season series gone to the 49ers. They will be three games up. They will have the tie break. They will be a little too far back in what has become a super congested wildcard race in the NFC. So the, the Seahawks and Geno Smith absolutely do need this one. And uh, listen, what can you say about the 49ers and uh, Brock Purdy? Brock Purdy, once again, looked really, really comfortable out there. I'm worried about that Debo Samuel injury. Hopefully uh, he's able to sort something out there, especially if the 49ers are going to make a playoff run. But 
otherwise continue to be really big on this 49ers team. They are among the top uh, three teams in the NFC looking at our futures board. So it's no surprise, Seth, that they are three and a half point road favorite in this one. And probably also not a surprise that betters are really liking the 49ers in this spot with about 75% of all bets on the 49ers at Bavada. The over under is currently sitting at 43 and a half, a little bit more love on the under there. Uh, should be a good one on Thursday night. I think we're back to good Thursday night football finally. Uh, Saturday, there's three games, uh, the Dolphins and the Bills. The Bills come in as a pretty heavy favorite. It's going to be freezing there. What is, what's your thought on uh, Tua Tungavailoa going into Orchard Park? Man, the Buffalo Bills have a home field advantage like no other. Well, so this is what's really interesting, Seth, because it was, as we remember earlier in the year, the Bills went down to Miami and lost in a game that was an absolute scorcher. Players could not stay properly hydrated. You had a lot of cramping up. And, uh, you know, the real takeaway was you know, not to take away from the fact that the Dolphins won that game and deservedly did so, but that they really were able to exercise their home field advantage in that scenario by being, you know, better attuned to that kind of extreme weather. Well, here it is, folks. It's December in Buffalo. It's going to be cold. There's likely going to be snow on the ground. Uh, I don't know if snow has left uh, the ground since uh, it dumped uh, a few feet a few weeks ago. But yeah, this is the Bills' chance for a little bit of payback. And if you're a Dolphins fan, you're, you're not just concerned about how good the Bills are playing, but I don't know. I think Tua looked a little bit vulnerable on Sunday night against the Chargers. A lot of his throws looked like ducks out there. He looked really uncomfortable in the pocket. If you're a Dolphins fan, if you're a Dolphins backer, you got to be a little bit concerned about that. As a result, the Buffalo Bills are seven and a half point home favorites at Bavada. Over under sitting at 42, which speaks to the possibility of extreme weather in this game. Because if this game is taking place in a, you know, other, in a dome, if it's taking place in warmer weather, that total is creeping all the way up to probably 47, 48, maybe even 50. So, uh, you know, defense is going to make a difference in this game. The weather is going to make a difference in this game. Having said all of that, 65% of all bets on the Dolphins plus seven and a half in this spot at Bavada. All right, so now let's move to Sunday. The New York Jets came out and uh, they need a win. They're on the outside of the playoffs looking in, but they're going up against a streaking Lions team, uh, a team that's won four of the last five. Uh, Detroit goes into the Meadowlands where it's not going to be you know, below freezing, but it's still going to be cold. Uh, should be an interesting one, Lions and Jets. Yeah, it should be a, a great one, Seth. And this really speaks to the Jets have been strong. They Listen, they beat the Bills once. They played them tight the other day. Uh, Mike White was uh, hit uh, tons of times in that game, but amazing that he was able to pick himself up from that. Uh, these are two teams that are, like you said, right on the periphery of the wild card in both their respective conferences, both playing reasonably good football. And as such, it would not really surprise anyone, I think, to see that this game is actually a pick em, right down the middle, 50-50. And uh, looking at the uh, bet disparity so far, that's entirely where the action is as well. About 50-50% of all bets are on the lines and on the Jets in this one at Bavada. Over-under sitting at 44.5, a little bit more love on the under there. But uh, this, you know, it's not must-win per se, but as we get closer and closer to the end of the season, uh, you want to give a little bit of separation if you're one of those two teams looking for one of those wildcard spots. And just because we haven't mentioned Tom Brady on this podcast yet, let's talk about Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing host to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are three and a half point road favorites in this one. Not a big surprise that uh, the majority of the money looking at 80% so far 
are on the Cincinnati Bengals in this one. Uh, the Bengals, uh, you know, they listen. They they played really good football lately. Uh, Chase is back and healthy. Uh, you know, Burrow is, you know, one of my favorite young QBs in the league. Just absolutely perfect a couple weeks ago against the Chiefs. Hard not to like the Bengals in this one at Bavada. The Bucks' defense is strong. I think they got a little bit more out of Rashad White running the ball against the 49ers last week. I know it didn't end up mattering more, but if they can use Rashad White a little bit more, if they can run the ball a little bit more, get away from Fournette, and I, I, if Brady can remember what his wide receivers look like and the routes that they should be running, uh, maybe the Bucks can keep this one close. I am not optimistic. Great insight on those games. There are others on the Bovada website. Our thanks to the head odds maker over there, Patrick Morrow. Now, more on the passing of Grant Wall with Richard Deitch from The Athletic. Also still to come, TJ Quinn from ESPN on the recent release of Brittany Griner. We're doing some very serious topics here on Sports with Friends. I don't think he was politically driven, but he was at the forefront for calling Qatar what it was. You know, there's been one aspect of this World Cup that I don't find uh, has been answered. And I'm full disclosure, I had reached out to other mutual people that you and I both know about having Grant on when he got back after the World Cup to talk about this exact issue. Uh, We know the corruption that took place in 2010 when Qatar got the bid uh, from FIFA. There have been people who have literally been arrested and imprisoned because of this uh, corruption at that point. And then again, when they found out that it was so freaking hot in the summer that they had to move the World Cup to November, at that point, why did no one consider taking the bid away? Well, That's what I don't understand. And it's not that hard to understand. FIFA's a corrupt organization. You shouldn't, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of right in front of you. The World Cup should not have been held in Qatar. I mean, just full stop blunt. It's not a big enough country. It, the, the, the suspect way in which they ultimately won that bid has been chronicled uh, by many, many people. Did you see the new, Netflix documentary? I did, yeah, including yeah, a new Netflix great. documentary, yeah. which I, you know, I, I think spells it out for you. And that's the stain of this World Cup, Seth, is that in addition to whoever wins and in addition to the sort of the amazing things we've seen from you know, Leo Messi and Kylian Mbappe and the Morocco team, um, the, the legacy of this World Cup is going to be uh, that it should have never been here, that migrant workers died, that it was in a repressive country, and, and, and many, you know, and also one of the world's most famous journalists in the sport died. And, and so you will never, I, I shouldn't, I don't want to use the royal you. I should speak for myself, but I do think it is shared by others. I will never see the Qatar World Cup in any kind of romantic or positive way. No matter who wins. To, Right. No matter who wins, it is just it is what it is. And in many ways, the athletes ultimately save these global events, whether it's the Olympics or the World Cup. But that for me won't be the case here. It, I'm just hoping at this point that everybody is safe and gets home. But I'll never look at the Qatar World Cup in any kind of romantic or positive way. Before Grant's passing, I was trying to separate the sports. You know, I thought Fox's coverage goes out of its way, not only to not cover the reality of what's going on, they glorify these stadiums. If if I hear one more time, these announcers coming in, and it's not just one announcer, 
They all come in, they do these pan arounds of all the stadiums talking about how gorgeous they are. And to me, that's condescending because they know what happened to build those. And I'm not saying they have to do the opposite extreme, but do me a favor, just keep the camera on the on the field, on the pitch, to, you know, for lack of a better phrase. Just show, don't glorify the place unless they had to. Well, the one thing I could tell you is, you know, again, I did a lot of stuff as others did on um, Fox's coverage prior to the World Cup. I talked to David Neal, who's the executive producer of their coverage, and and I appreciate him always giving me time. He doesn't have to do that. They've been very clear. They were not going to cover anything that was away from the pitch. And I don't blame um, them for that. Right. They weren't going to get into any kind of issues of LGBTQ and um, and migrant workers. That said, and this, I think, gets to your point. What you don't want them to do right is to is to be a propaganda organ for the right. Qataris. And I do think that that criticism is more than fair. You get a lot of positive uh, stuff on that network about Qatar and about the World Cup, like you said, the stadiums, and then you see a you know a big commercial from Qatari Airlines. Oh, so yeah. everything does feel when you watch that, yeah, like a like bit of propaganda. Where I think you, I, this is just my personal opinion. Obviously, Fox sure. does not share it. Where you would be helped is if you were a little critical of some of the underbelly of this stuff, because then I think if you're an audience person, you're like, okay, I can deal with some of this over the top stuff. That's flag waving for them if you're covering some of the other stuff. But when it comes to this coverage, you're correct. It is basically in many, not all the time, but many times it feels like an infomercial for Qatar. Yeah, there's no secret about that. I We could do the whole episode about Qatar, but that's not why I wanted to have you on. Um, to talk more about the legacy of Grant Wall, um, there was a conscious choice, whether it was by him or by Sports Illustrated, to focus on soccer. Um, that wasn't always uh, what he was known for. He famously wrote the the cover story on LeBron James when he was in high school. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've talked to some college basketball friends who wax poetic about working with Grant Wall uh, during his days covering college uh, basketball. What is it with soccer? Why was that such a big deal to him? Yeah, well, he fell in love with soccer when he was an undergraduate at Princeton. He uh, traveled to Argentina, may have done a senior thesis on Argentine soccer, although I'm not positive about that. But that's where he fell in love with the game. At Princeton, he was very tight with Bob Bradley, who uh, was became the United States national team coach at one point. He now coaches in MLS, but he's become a pretty famous coach. And, and, um, and back then, he was the coach of Princeton. So soccer was always something he loved. Grant is a he's a global traveler too. He likes to travel and he's pretty well read, and so soccer sort of fits into that. But when he first started Sports Illustrated, you're right, like he was a basketball guy and he loved basketball too. I mean, I remember uh, people at Sports Illustrated playing pickup basketball. Grant was a big part of that. He covered Final Fours. He was covering um, in the early 2000s a lot of um, a lot of the star college basketball players who would go on to be. Uh, NBA players. And he also did some investigative work, including um, a very famous story at Sports Illustrated. I think it was 1998 on paternity, on basically uh, athletes who were having kids, but not necessarily being responsible for them. Was, but, wasn't, that, wasn't that involving uh, Daniel Murphy when Daniel Murphy got ripped by Mike Francesa for taking off opening different day? Time, yeah, different time. This was well before that, but, uh, oh, but okay. I seem to remember Francesa being mad that... Uh, that was yeah. That Daniel Murphy actually left, I think, to to attend the birth of this kid. Right. Yeah, that's where and my friends was. were all saying Way off. 
Daniel Murphy, now father of the year. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. yeah. Francesca had some bad takes, and that would be one of them. Um, <laughs> the um, in terms of soccer, though, Seth, like it is absolutely correct that Grant Wall willed Sports Illustrated to cover soccer in a much bigger way. The magazine would cover World Cups, but it very, very rarely did anything other than a once a year feature or twice a year feature on a famous player. But he changed that, and he. Um, he let them know he wanted to cover it. He fought for assignments. He fought for travel money to travel abroad mm. to cover these um, these athletes. And then eventually when the web started getting bigger, when SI.com started getting bigger, he wrote a lot for the web and particularly early, including mailbags and some other stuff. And he started to get a big audience. And so in many ways, he is singularly responsible for – although there are certainly some editors with him as well. I, I will give them credit. But he was far and away the most uh, well-known person at Sports Illustrated who was fighting for soccer and then eventually got that brand, got that magazine to cover it on a very, very regular basis. He, Grant Wall was way ahead of his time in terms of um, understanding that the American public was like into global soccer. I'm not necessarily talking about MLS, but they were into like the greatest players who played around the world. And he was well ahead of most people on that, um, at least at the place I worked at. When we talk about the promotion of soccer in the U.S., uh, this is where I have to lean on you. I always wonder what the, the, the end game goal is. For example, is it to see the growth of MLS? Okay, but right now, I don't think I'm being unfair to MLS, and I don't think I'm being derogatory against it by saying it's probably the fifth or sixth best league in, in the world. And yeah, that might be high, by the way. I think it's less than that, but yeah. Fine, sure. fine. But yeah. when you, you know, the advent of streaming has made the other leagues so accessible that right. what what was the goal? Is, is it that Americans would want to just watch one of these leagues or is it to grow the American soccer league? Well, my answer to you would be it depends on who you're asking because different people have different goals. I think the people who run MLS have a goal of, of building that league up and making that league. What was profitable. Grant Walls? I think Grant. I think Grant. If Grant had a goal, Grant had a goal of telling soccer stories. That's it. Full stop. Like wherever they were, whatever they were, Grant, when he reported, reported and respected MLS in the exact same way he would respect Leo Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, obviously, the 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 two that I just mentioned there are infinitely more globally famous than any MLS player, but Grant would report the stories in the exact same manner, no matter who it was. So I think for him, I just think he liked, he just wanted, I think, more people to be interested in soccer in the U.S., and he he believed that there was a bigger audience than what a lot of our management thought, and he turned out to be right. Like, he was correct on that. But if you, if you know, if we were talking to Grant now, and, you know, you ask Grant, like, where do you put MLS in terms of the like the world the leagues of the world? He would be totally candid with you. He'd say they're probably the eighth or ninth best league in the world, and then he'd sort of go down the list, you know, behind Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, etc. So I think he was well aware of where American soccer was. I just think he loved to tell stories. He also was. He so there was, wasn't like a, a journey, like like, like no, there wasn't an accomplishment. Like there had to be like the MLS success story wasn't his story. No. 
I think he would love to have seen it because he loves soccer, but no, he was not invested to make MLS the, I um, I think where I think he was very invested in is I think he really wanted the United States national teams to be great and to be covered really sort of thoroughly the way like, you know, the, the, the New England Patriots or the New York Yankees are that he was real interested in. And he, okay. he was very, very early and very smart about this of chronicling how good the United States women's national team was, mm-hmm. um, which is true. You know, obviously infinitely better than the men. They have obviously won one world cups. They've won their, you know, the record sure. in that is better They're You know, they just have their, they've had more success than the men. Yes. The men obviously play in a sport that's longer and has, uh, more countries playing, but he, he, I think if you were going to ask him, like, if there was one thing he really would like wish for on a soccer basis, I think he would have loved to have seen the U S win a world cup in his lifetime. I think he would probably be realistic and say, I don't think it'll happen, but I think he would have loved that because that would have been for him, like such an incredible thing. Cause he really loved global soccer. And I think he really loved how the U S was getting better and better during his professional career. That's fascinating. Um, when, Sports Illustrated was under siege. I don't know if you had left already. I don't, I, I, again, I didn't follow it that closely. The only time I think I met uh, Grant Wall, unless I might have seen him at a sporting event, was uh, I was freelancing and I was doing some of those SI Now shows yeah. with uh, Maggie Gray. Yeah, I love and, Maggie Gray. And Grant was in the studio. Like we, we did a segment together. That, that's all I remember. And uh, again, I was planning on reaching out after he got back from Qatar. Um, he was at the forefront of um, not uh, of defending the journalism being done by SI when it was it was essentially under siege. Um, that was a cause that he took on it on his own, and ultimately, I'm I'm not sure it made much of a difference. But he represented the journalists incredibly well. What? How can you recount that time and what Grant Wall's role was? Uh, kind of self appointed. Well, I mean, again, this was somebody who, like, <laughs> he was, I mean, he was a journalist with a with a with a capital J. Um, he 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 cared about people who were not privileged. He cared about um, human rights. He certainly cared about promoting and writing about um, women in sport. He had a great run at Sports Illustrated, but at a at a certain point, Sports Illustrated was ultimately sold from Time Inc., the big parent company, to the Meredith Corporation, and then the Meredith Corporation sold it to a company called um, uh, the Maven, or eventually sort of became sort yep. of the you know someone else actually sold I it remember. to the Maven, yep. just to be technical. And yeah, and then it got a little, it got a little then uncomfortable. It became for blogs Grant. and right. yeah, it co- mm. well, become a comfortable Grant and many others because a lot of people were laid off, yep. and Grant was a high salaried person there. And he had come up under a different system. He had come on. He had come up under a time when Sports Illustrated was um, a powerful journalism entity with with amazing amounts of money and staffing. And I think that was difficult for him. I think it was difficult for him to be working for top management who didn't see or weren't aligned in the same way that that he was. Um, he was a union guy. He supported people at that at Sports Illustrated for getting. Um, fair value and fair wages. And that was big of him to do that because obviously he had a very big name at sports illustrated because many of the big name people by then had left the Peter Kings of the world, et cetera. Sure. sure. And so eventually they unceremoniously fired him uh, SI and the management at the time did so 
in a pretty public and ugly way, releasing uh, like salary figures, whether they were right or wrong. I mean, they just really tried to sort of tarnish him uh, publicly. And so the end for him there was not good, although one good thing about that was that some of the management people at Sports Illustrated um, ended up changing. And then they did bring Grant back for a little bit, some of the editors there who knew him for a long time. So at least um, there was at least a little bit of sort of a, um, a uh, uh, you know, a, a, a healing of sorts. And he was able to come back and he did some stories there. But he goes down as one of the most famous journalists ever to work there. Yeah. He um, – <laughs> the one thing about him, even when you knew him when he was young, when he was 25, 26, 27, he was never intimidated by the people who were really famous, like the Frank DeFords and the William Knacks and people like that. Grant always felt he belonged, which was really, really impressive to see at, uh, you know, at 25 and, and 26. And then in his post-Sports Illustrated life, and this was pretty amazing, you know, he wasn't – he knew he was good, and he knew he obviously had a lot of followers and a lot of people who wanted to read him. But he wasn't sure how it would go as an independent journalist. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, you're on your own at that point. You're not surrounded. Sure. supported by a corporation. But Substack contacted him and wanted him to write for, for them, and he started his website and blog there. He hired one of our former editors, a guy named Mark Moravik, who's a terrific editor. Meadowlark Media eventually hired him to do podcasts and to do some documentary work, and he was able in the course of a very short amount of time to become like a major force as an independent soccer journalist. Kind of reinvent himself, yeah. Yeah, I mean not only reinvent himself, reinvent himself like to the point where I'm fairly certain he was financially making more money then than he was at SI. So he was just a bright guy and a passionate person, um, but at the end of the day, just like – incredibly skilled and talented at what he did. And the one thing, and I'm, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm happy when people like you, Seth, invite me on this week to say, the one thing that really blew me away is, you know, when people die, you do see, you read on Twitter and people say nice things, but with Grant, it was different. It wasn't just that like, you know, we liked Grant. He was a great guy. People like specifically told these stories about how he helped them. I remember when, you know, it'd be like Grant, I was 20 years old, and I loved reading Grant Wall, and he called me, and I was a nobody, and he just gave me 30 minutes. Or like Grant once sent me this contact, and that helped me get like a book project. Like there was like a thousand of these, and like I knew he had some reach because if you're a global soccer writer, you got some reach. I had no clue how many lives he touched, and that's really going to be his legacy is just that that outpouring wasn't just like, hey, yeah, he's a great guy, and now let's move on to like talking about football. That was like – this was a really unique person, and let me tell you how he helped me. Well, it's a, it's an absolute tragedy. Whether you know, hopefully we get the answers, and it can just be this real sad ending, uh, or or not. Who know, who knows? You know how how this is going to to play out. But uh, a guy who uh, initially, when I when I heard the news, I just said, "Who were his cohorts at at Sports Illustrated? Who could do this podcast?" and uh, when a mutual friend reached out and suggested you, I said, that's a, a perfect introduction. Uh, one day you're going to have to come back and talk about your career and do some sports media stuff. But for now, uh, I appreciate you taking this time just to uh, to pay homage to to a, a colleague and a friend. 
Yeah, let's board the audience with my personal story, uh, Seth. Exactly. That's no, exactly in, uh, what I want to do. That's my also, New Year's resolution is to have all my 2023 episodes of the podcast be boring as fuck. <laughs> uh, but in all seriousness, listen, I, I appreciate you inviting me on. Um, I'll never get tired of talking about Grant's work. And um, he really, you know, I mean, I know it's cliche, but he really was one of a kind. His, he's yeah. not going to be duplicated. And it's it's a terrible tragedy. He, the dude was 49 years old. That's 20 years of writing that we're not going to get, and that uh, that's hard to swallow. But I but I appreciate you 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 invite me on to at least uh, to to sort of talk about what made him great. Thanks, man. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. This portion of Sports with Friends is brought to you by Uncommon Goods. It is officially the holiday season, and I resisted until after Thanksgiving. I wasn't going to say a word about the holidays until after Thanksgiving, even though they started doing Christmas commercials in October. And now the hunt for the perfect gift, and everything between online and in stores is the battle. Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods wants your holiday season to be stress-free, so check out their selection of thousands of items today. Here's a couple that I found and got from my relatives. The MLB Park Map Glasses. Each set of two whiskey glasses features a map of an iconic MLB stadium in the team's two main colors. I got one for a friend in Seattle, and I got one who's a Nationals fan. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. No matter what your family or friends are into, Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everybody. And when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. With every purchase that you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back a dollar to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. To get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash SWF for sports with friends. That's uncommongoods.com slash SWF for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods, we're all out of the ordinary. Now back to the show. Our thanks to uh, Richard Deitch uh, for coming on the podcast. That Grant Wall story is still evolving. And uh, like we said at the top, um, there's going to be news after this release of this podcast that comes out on that. Uh, And also, as we said at the beginning, uh, there's another major off the field story going on in sports. And that was the release of Brittany Griner, the uh, two-time gold medalist, WNBA star, uh, who is now back in the United States. And uh, the person, the individual who, uh, to me, has been at the forefront of the coverage of Brittany Kreiner's uh, arrest, subsequent sentencing, her entire Russian experience has been a guy who's been on the podcast now four times. Um, TJ Quinn is an investigative reporter for ESPN. Uh, I have known him for decades. Uh, he originally came on to discuss uh, his career in episode 244, then came on because he was one of the first people, in America at least, that got COVID-19. 
And he was dealing with the after effects of that, something called long COVID. And he was dealing with that. That was episode 319. Then 40 weeks later, when Brittany Griner was arrested, he came on the podcast again, 359. And now as to kind of bookend the entire experience here on episode 381, we welcome back the great TJ Quinn. TJ, four times on, you're going for Latroy's record. I'm, I, I, I take them one at a time. Um, you know, Live day to day, good yeah, Lord, day to day. Lord willing, Latroy, you know, great, great respect for his achievement. Um, <laughs> but you got to stay healthy is, is part of it. <laughs> we so, needed that. It got pretty heavy to... with, uh, with Richard on the, uh, the Grant Wall scenario. I yeah. That. Yeah. Um, the Brittany Griner story is uh, not without its, its caveats, but, uh, from Brittany Griner's perspective, it's a much happier ending. Um, her release. Um, I wanted to ask you uh, initially, what was your reaction when you heard the news that she was going to be traded for a, a Russian arms dealer? We had all heard that that was on the table. Uh, that was kind of where we left off on, on this story. So you're, you're home. I'm presuming you're home. You get an alert on your phone. Somebody texts you. Somebody, some, some instance, they they made the deal. What, what what went through your mind as somebody who paid such close attention to this? Um, well, you hate to. I mean, it, it's five things at once, right? Part of it is, wow, this is incredible. Uh, two, oh shit, I better cancel lunch. Uh, <laughs> three, how did CBS get it first? Uh, or, you know, who do I need to call? I mean, just all, all at the same time, but you're also, you, you know, the, the news, the, the trade itself, I mean, we knew that's what it was going to be. Right. I mean, cause that, that was Russia had floated that, um, you know, back in, what was it? May, I guess. When, and I, and I happened to stumble on that looking through Russian media, God yep. bless Google translate. And I remember, um, you know, and, and they, it was a strong signal. This is what it would take. Um, there'd been some indications in the past couple of weeks that even though the U.S. wanted a two for one or a two for two deal, that it was going to end up being one for one, that Russia was just holding the line. So, so that wasn't a shock. The timing certainly was. Um, but, but you also knew all along it could be, it could be in a year, it could be five minutes from now. Um, so it was, you know, I think a number of people had kind of heard this idea floating that this is who she would be traded for. Um, you know, having having worked on this story now for, you know, nine months, um, it's you, you understand why the mechanics of this deal come together. Um, the fact is, when somebody holds somebody hostage, as Russia was of Brittany Griner, they have the cards. And sure. whatever they wanted, you know, people talk about how much they wanted Victor Boot. Well, Russia didn't offer anything that the U.S. thought was worthwhile for 14 years. Right. This guy was, you know, well into his sentence. He was picked up actually in Thailand originally. And that includes Paul Whelan. Just if, that, if you're going to go there, we have to go there. Like, that, includes that includes Paul Whelan. Yes. Paul Whelan. Um, in fact, and I had somebody from the White House tell me last week that they had offered, U.S. had offered straight up one for one Paul Whelan uh, for Victor Boot and that Russia absolutely would not engage. Um, that huh. this person I spoke to said it was it was a non-starter. 
Russia has consistently said that they consider Paul Whelan to be a different class of prisoner than Brittany Griner. He was accused of spying. He, he was convicted of espionage over there and, you know, what the U.S. considers to be a, a laughable, you know, farce of a trial. Um, you know, Paul Whelan, um, he's, he was sentenced to 16 years uh, Sunday, I believe. Yes, yeah, Sunday, I think, will be four years since he was arrested. Um, he's, you know, been through hell, as you would expect, during all this time. Um there look as as we all are well aware twitter is a great place to find uh, many many experts on subjects people had never thought about before and everybody's weighing in on the merits of this i'm not i'm not it's not my place to say if it was the right deal or not um no I'm that's not, not the question but yeah. as a reporter it was only offered one for one it was either this or nothing that was it. That's well. And again, you know, and I have to remind myself, I'm only hearing this from U.S. officials. Um, but I do know this, that there was absolutely no reason whatsoever for the U.S. to, to not want Paul Whelan back. It's just silly. They 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 knew all along that, you know, well, first of all, you you you, you, you have to look at the people who were whose job it is to get these Americans home. And I, I don't know, I'm not so cynical as, as to think that they, you know, there's no human element to that, that, that they, they don't just in their hearts want to bring these people home. That's why they're in this line of work. Um, so besides just that human factor of, of wanting to do that politically, if you look at in pure political terms, they knew all along that if you bring one home and not the other, you're going to get crushed by at least 40 percent of the population and that's exactly what happened and elizabeth whelan paul whelan's sister was on uh, newsmax of all places uh yesterday or today saying we knew that there was a chance this would happen because russia wanted to stoke the divisions that's what they do if they release you know britney and not paul then he gets crushed you know biden gets crushed by the right which is exactly what's happened um you know, if it had been the other way around, then Biden would have been attacked from the left. And so they well, knew this idea that, you know, I, I saw people posting free the Marine. I, I, I get it. If they could, they would. Yeah, there is. I mean, there is, it doesn't matter what side you're on. Who could do better? Right. I mean, it's there've been, there've been a lot of these, you know, these, these thoughts that have crept into the the public discourse that just don't make a lot of sense, like the people who have said, Oh, if this was LeBron James or Tom Brady, he would have been home right away. No, no, they they would have held out for for Greenland. He'd still be in there. Would, yeah, would, he wouldn't have been released. Right. You would have had to trade uh, Victor Boot, a battleship. Um, yeah. You know, half the state of Florida. This is a an economic transactional, uh, you know, uh, philosophy for Russia. This is no. It has nothing to do with justice. It has everything to do with. What can we get? And this is, you know, all along when the, the experts I spoke to kept saying that, yeah, a lot of it comes down to how much do we have something that Putin wants versus, you know, the value of, of what we can give versus the value he gets out of just stoking dissent over here, which is why the people I spoke to in, in the State Department and, and in the White House said, 
they thought it was really unlikely there would be anything before the midterm elections because why would Putin give Joe Biden any kind of political victory beforehand? And once November 8th came and went, um, there was optimism that something could happen. And sure enough, within a couple of weeks, Russia, uh, it wasn't just like that they were haggling this whole time. Russia had not made a counterproposal. At least, again, this is according to the U.S. officials I've spoken to. I have no way to independently confirm this, but I haven't figured out yet. Um, but they hadn't even countered and said, this is the deal we're willing to do. They finally did. And that's what got things going. Um, I asked you this the last time uh, you were on, and I followed your coverage. Have I, I'm not going to lie and say I've read every word, so I may have missed this. And neither have I, but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's fine. I, I don't listen to these shows once they're released, so <laughs> I understand. There was the speculation that we talked about that Russia planted the cannabis oil on her in her purse or in her bag, whatever, whatever it was, um, to frame her. If you haven't confirmed yet, do you plan on confirming whether or not the whole thing was bullshit anyway? And the reason why I ask that is that's another thing that people are saying, you know, it's a shame that she was wrongfully detained, but, you know, you go into a foreign country that has rules and she broke the rules. So she had to pay something. Right. I think the first time you and I talked about this, the phrase I used was, or however I described it was. It's just, it was plausible at the time. Yeah, it was that, you know, that that going into the story, having reported on Russia, um, you know, with to, to a decent extent, at least for a sports guy, um, I knew two things. One was uh, sometimes athletes do stupid stuff and get caught doing it. And the other is Russia also plants drugs on people for political reasons. And so either was possible. She did plead guilty, um, which was not, it's not, you know. But that didn't mean she did it. it. Right. It doesn't mean she necessarily did it. That but, I remember distinctly talking to you about. Yep, exactly. It was a strategy. There was, it didn't matter if she did it or not. She would not leave the country without admitting that she did it. Um, that was going to always be the price. So, but I will say this, in the many conversations I've had with people around her over the night, last nine months, nobody has said she didn't. So, okay. Uh, it might it might be a picayune thing um, and may may not even be relevant. I mean, to some people, it'll matter. Um, yeah, she she got caught. She, oh, she I just I don't want to show car. bias in the way I'm covering this. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, yeah, I, I'd ask the question. And if she yeah, did it, absolutely. She did it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's and it's you know, it's one of those. And look, if I get a chance to interview her, I don't know what her plans are um, when she'll first sit down with somebody. My guess is it's going to be a while. But um yeah, I want to ask her that question. Did it happen the way that you said it did? You know, what she told the court that she was throwing her bag together quickly. She she had it in there, didn't realize she did. She got caught. That's possible. Because one other possibility, and I was on a, a panel last week at Seton Hall with our, our yes. good friend Bob Lee, yep. which, by the way, coincidentally, Grant Wall was supposed to join us yeah. um, on Zoom. From Qatar. Yep. Yeah. Um, it wasn't for technical reasons, but um, Liz Williams uh, from the Washington Mystics was was there with me, and and we talked about something that you know is is I think important to to think about if she did bring it over there when when you play for a club team, 
the owner of that team in Russia is an oligarch. And oligarchs are basically, it's a similar model to a crime boss. Um, if an oligarch, and in the case of her team, the guy who owns the mining companies uh, worth before the war started, 3.5 billion, according, to, I think, to Forbes. Wow. Um, you have some strong protection. If something goes wrong, you can call that person right away and, and, and they'll, they'll clean it up for you really right. quickly. So, but a, you know, a week before the war was going to start, it seems like that wasn't an option. And maybe it's something, maybe she felt comfortable going over there. I don't know. I, I plan to ask her about that. Um, but so close to the war with hostilities between our countries, what they are, um, she was just too valuable a, a chit to clean it up that yeah. way. People are going to listen to this podcast uh, weeks and months in the future. And, you know, we'll, we'll have all, a lot of these questions will be answered uh, by your fifth appearance on the podcast. Yeah. Um, but the, the reality, and by the way, if you're listening to this in the future, do me a favor, send me a note. Let me know how the flying car is. I'm very curious. Um, I know you've been talking to her agent. Has anybody said anything about her career? about her basketball career um no. I, 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 is, is it too soon I, I if i know that she's making a return to a basketball court i want to be there like i yeah. i just would want to see the i would want to be in a building that has britney griner taking the floor so maybe it's just the fan in me wondering has that been discussed at all it's they've they've very purposely uh tampered any discussion about that um she she did on sunday for the first time in 10 months go into a gym put on sneakers black chuck taylors um she had a phoenix suns uh shorts and phoenix mercury uh title nine t-shirt and she picked up the ball and she dunked and it was the yeah. first time she'd done anything in 10 months and it was interesting because when yeah, I spoke to a number of people who work with former detainees and hostages, including, you know, a couple who had been detained themselves. And they say this kind of, you know, people change through an experience like this. And they sometimes come out with very different values and goals. And, you know, it was not a given that she was going to want to play. In fact, uh, I'd spoken to her lawyer in Moscow a couple months ago, and it was funny. I, I just, as we were chatting, I and, and this was over Zoom, I, I said, I, I'm just curious. I said, is she, does she have a chance to play basketball over there uh, in that jail? And she yeah. said, well, she said the, uh, uh, she said the the jail has a, uh, she said a, a ring, uh, like a hoop. Yes, yes, a hoop. Um, she said, but there's no ball. And when we offered to bring Brittany one, she said, no, I don't want it. I don't want to think about it. If I'm still here in the spring, maybe. Um, huh. So it was clear that at that point, she just wasn't ready to think about it. Right now, um, the, she's got this massive support team around her. She's got not just her agent and her family. Um, she has uh, the State Department, the White House. She's got you know the top experts. Yeah. She's got psychologists, doctors. Um, and, you know, Lindsay uh, Kagawakolis, her agent, said, you know, we're going to take the holidays. It's going to be Brittany's decision. It's going to be her news to make. I think that the calculus on this is you can't make decisions right now. Right now, in, in the euphoria of being home, she may feel like, hell yes, I want to be back out there. That's all I want to do. Well, once that euphoria passes, 
there will be some PTSD from this, no matter how well she came through it. It was 10 months locked up in Russia. And so you just can't know what your state of mind is going to be and what sort of effect it'll have on you physically, mentally. So I think that's the, the, the calculus is, Hey, just no pressure. Keep doing what you're doing. It's not like, you know, the Mercury are going to say, you know what, it's too late. We're not going to welcome you. Um, So, you know, if I were, if I were reading tea leaves, she right now wants to, that's her identity, but they're just being smart and saying, there's no rush. There's no paper you have to sign. Take your time. Last question on this. I promise. Unless you say something really interesting and I have a follow-up. All right. So last uh, question. Right. right. Well, you know, I, I always I tell people, don't say it's your last question. However, it's a podcast. So if this is not my last question, I can take this whole segment out. Um, did I read correctly? And I don't know if I I don't think I read it on your coverage. Did I read correctly that other players have not ruled out going to Russia and playing? Well, the women, for the most part, have. I know now. about the pay disparity, and I yeah. understand how low pay they are. I, we we went in grand detail on that on the last time you were on the podcast. I I don't I don't care at this point. If, I don't know these women. You know, they're, they're not my friends. Yeah. I remember when when we used to cover steroids. I always say, well, if it was a player I liked, I didn't want them to use steroids. If it was some guy I didn't know, uh, it's their prerogative. They they can do it. I don't want any of these ladies to go to Russia anytime soon. Right now, nobody is. Um, nobody's planning to. It's hard to imagine anybody would. Um, they're still playing in in Turkey, uh, right. Israel, um, you know, other countries. The money is is still good. Um, with Russia, it's a different ball of wax. For some reason, you know, there are a number of American men who are still there who didn't come back and have remained there. Um, I mean, look, Russia's a really interesting place. It's, you know, I, I'm not eager to go back just yet, uh, things being as they are. Um, but it was fascinating and you can kind of live over there in this bubble the way these guys are. And I don't get it, whatever, that's their choice. Um, they obviously feel safe enough in, in that environment for the women to do it. I think it would just, you know, the, the blowback you would get. But on the other hand, if, if, if you're a Russian owner and, you know, the, the value you would get, the, uh, the, the, the PR hit you would get for enticing yeah. an American to come over would be probably worth a lot of money. So who knows? Um, it's it's it, it would seem unlikely, but um, if, if the last few years have taught me anything, it's that nothing's impossible. TJ, um, I'm sure that this story is uh, not going away anytime soon. There's still a lot uh, to be uh, interested in. This podcast is called Sports with Friends, and you work for the uh, worldwide leader in sports. So I don't necessarily think that uh, the next episode will be about Paul Whelan, but uh, we we. We want Paul Whelan and anybody who is wrongfully detained uh, released. Uh, that goes without saying. But and... we're, we're keeping track of him too. I mean, it's yeah. There's no athletic connection, but people now have become invested in his story in a way they didn't. And you know, I, and I think the other thing is, you know, where you're going to be hearing Paul Whelan's name the most is from Brittany Griner's lips. Um, it's it's very clear from them that 
she is going to, you know, keep saying his name and that she's going to dedicate herself toward raising this issue. So, uh, yeah, this, this will be going for a while. I look forward to your interview with her. That's, that's what I can't wait for. I I hope I get, I know she'll probably do one of these fancy morning shows before then, but I want to see your face next to her, uh, interviewing her. And I, I, I am so interested because you have gotten all your information through all these outside sources like you had to to try to get information from so many different places um and i know how tirelessly you were you were working um this does not count as an official last question but how are you feeling uh, i probably should have asked that in the beginning are no, you are you better than you were I'm last time better than i was not where i'd like to be um you know physically just not quite what I was and that's just I've just kind of learned to manage it um you know still can't work out but uh the brain fog is way better and for what I do for a living I'll I'll take it (laughs) that is that is accurate TJ thank you as always and uh, I look forward to just uh, keeping in touch man anytime my friend thanks TJ Quinn, our thanks to TJ Quinn, Richard Deitch, uh, the Grant Wall story and the Brittany Griner story have had very, very different endings, but they were both happening. And if you have a podcast called Sports with Friends and your friends can tell you about people that we don't know, I don't know Brittany Griner, and I didn't get a chance to have Grant Wall on the podcast like I had wanted to. Still, uh, these folks were absolutely amazing. For those of you who tuned in because we were promoing that we were having Scott Hansen from the NFL Red Zone, uh, Scott was very, very amicable and understood the timeliness of this episode, so he will come on next week before the holidays. And then, of course, our holiday tradition, uh, two Jews hanging out on Christmas. That is our final episode of 2022. See you then. If you want me to stay, I'll be around today available for you to see I'm about to go and then you'll know for me to stay I got to be me you'll never be in doubt that's what it's all about you can't take me for granted and smile come on please I'm gone forget to reach my phone because I promise I'll be You have been the kind of person that you really are now. You got to get in straight. How could I ever be late when you're my woman taking up my?